Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Not as good as you, but that's not unexpected. <laughs> You're at Shelton at your in-laws' beautiful state on what kind of river? Which river is that? I mean, you're on so many different on, rivers, I'm uh, confused. It's in between the North and South Fork. So it's in between Sag Harbor and Greenport in Peconic oh, beautiful Bay. area and peaceful, I would assume. And uh, beautiful with oh, your so beautiful nice. family there. So enjoy, enjoy your, your summer, enjoy your vacation there. It's great. And since you're in my, you know, general vicinity, you'll be... We'll be getting together next week to do a couple of fight plans, which that's right for these big fights coming up. Uh, Triple G and Canelo, and of course for the heavyweight big one, uh, Joshua and Uzik. So the fans can look forward to that. And um, and while you're doing all that beautiful surfing and fishing and and you know <laughs> barbecuing. I've been sticking to my diet for the fans out there that want to know, and I've lost 15 pounds. I'm teetering between 15 and 16, so I can't say 16. It's 15. Um, but you, you look great. We'll be sharing clothes any day now. Not yet. Not yet. Not ever. You're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> no, <You're getting no. laughs> but um, so... I, I want to, you know, for a moment, we'll, we obviously, uh, sometimes I work the corner of people. I want to work the corner right now of our fans out there that are struggling with weight because I know what a struggle that can be, uh, not only physically but emotionally, mentally. And I, I just want to, for a moment, touch on that. Obviously, in my business, training fighters, my God, you know, 40 years now, uh, I'm in the business of taking weight off of men where it's not unusual to take 35, sometimes even 40. I say, it, I try to whisper it because it's not what you want to do in eight-week camp. But sometimes it's not about what you want to do in life. It's about what you're stuck with, what you have to do, what your mandate is, what your job is. So I've gotten in situations where we've had to do it so it's nothing unusual um but for the average person out there that's struggling i want to give you a little bit of this i'm thinking about you guys where when you're consumed by your appetite controlled by your appetite controlled by uh, one thing i jump in there about it's i always say that i'm going to connect the dots in this podcast with me and Ken with life. Use boxing, use fighting as a metaphor to because everyone's in a fight. This is a fight to lose weight. Everyone's in a fight. It just depends what are you fighting for. And I always say I want to connect the dots between life with everybody out there and whatever their fight is and use this to do that. So in the fight with weight as I say about the fight with boxing and UFC, it's mental. Most of it's mental. I understand the physical side. I understand the the appetite. I understand the desire to eat. I understand, um, you know, all of those things, the habits that we've gotten ourselves into. 
but the mental side, it's always there. It's, it's always the most important side. It really is, uh, the psychological part of it. And what I want to say to our great fans out there that are in this fight is that when you're at that moment where you got to make up your mind, okay, I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to make a stand here, and I'm going to go on a diet. And you're making a stand for whatever your reason is, health, looks, you know, ego, vanity, just pride, pride, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, the summer's coming up. You want to look better on the beach uh, like Ken does well, without a shirt on. Um, whatever, you want to fit into that dress, into that suit, whatever it happens to be. Once you make that commitment, you're going to, the early part is the hardest part. And you're going to get to a point where it's going to be a choice between sticking with your commitment, not eating certain things, right, on the diet, or not sticking to it. And I want to give you a couple tips. When you get to that point where you're really besieged, it's, it's almost like you're taken prisoner, prisoner by your desire to eat. I, I get it. And you, you're ready to cave because your desire to have that is so great. To have whatever it is, cheeseburger, pasta, well, I don't know, whatever, cake, whatever it happens to be that you shouldn't have once you make this commitment. I want you, for that moment, we use this in lots of things. You hear the term visualization. It's a very handy tool. I want you to use that tool, visualization, where you start to think, okay, I want to have this, and you're thinking only of that moment because it's going to satisfy you. I want you to think beyond that moment. I want you to visualize what it is you're trying to do, how you want to look, where you've looked in the mirror and you're just not happy, where you've tried to get into pants or a suit or a dress or whatever, and the button doesn't quite reach the hole. Um, you don't get there, and you're not happy, and it gets you down. I want you to remember that. Bring that memory back. I know we want to push away not pleasant memories, but in this kind of case, bring them back. Remind yourself of why you're doing this. And visualize what you want to be, how you want to look. And don't think so much about that moment. Think about how you're going to feel once you get past that moment. Think about how you're going to feel tomorrow morning. And you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. But you got to get there. That's the key. You got to get. That's like getting through a tough neighborhood without getting beaten up or without, you know, something happening. Or, or tough terrain in the woods without, you know, stepping in quicksand. You got to get there. And I want you to get there. So to get there, visualize how you want to look, how you want to feel tomorrow morning, rather than how you're feeling right now at that moment. Just life is about moments. It really is. Fights are about moments. 30, sec 30 sec second moment that you got to deal with the guy. And if you deal with it, you get past that moment. But if you don't, well, you're stuck. You're stuck in an eternity of regret. Just moments. So to get past that moment, think about how you want to look tomorrow, 
How do you want to feel when you get up in the morning? You're going to feel good. You're going to say, I got past it. Okay, another day in front of me. I'm going to get there. I'm going to replace, let the desire to eat be replaced, that overwhelming desire. Let it be replaced by the desire to get up tomorrow morning and know you conquered it, know you got past it, know that you feel proud of yourself. Let that desire that know you're going to look better and feel better. Let that desire replace the initial desire. And then, obviously, there's the physical things you can do. Can I talk about Athletic Greens, a great supplement, no doubt about it. But there's the things, first of all, drink more water. Allow your food when you have your meal. Allow it to digest before you continue eating. Drink water. Let, let help yourself with good nutritional tips, good nutritional habits. Yes, but the most important part, what is it, guys? What is it? It's the mental side. And that's what I'm addressing right now, okay? So that's it. A moment in the corner with Teddy. And um, now we can get to uh, we can get to the other fights. Yeah, please, Ken. I got one other, I got one other tip for you. If you're super hungry and you feel like you can't control your appetite, eat an apple, wait 15 minutes. If you're still hungry, eat another apple. Apple has a lot of fiber. Any kind of fruit will have a lot of fiber. It'll make you feel full. If you can eat it and wait 15 minutes, 100% will work. In other words, get into good nutritional habits. Help yourself. Yep. No, if, if you're drowning in a pool, you grab, what do you grab? A life preserver. You grab a float, <laughs> right? Well, there's things out there to grab when you start drowning a little bit in this fight. There's things to help you. Like Ken just mentioned one. The water, have a glass of water, have a bottle of water, have an apple, have a piece of fruit, whatever that fruit is. Get past that moment. Get past that instant. And you'll be happy for it. That's it. Well, speaking of diet, two guys that aren't afraid to have a big meal, Derek Chisora and uh, I think Ken, cool I think Rob's going to have a, a clip here. To put up that we've never <laughs> done before, seriously. To yeah, put up a clip, probably Thursday they get up right. Uh, with today's Monday, we this gets up tomorrow Tuesday, and the people know that. And then Thursday we could get a clip up there where dietary tips are in the corner with Teddy and Ken. <laughs> there you go. I smell, I smell some new sponsorships coming on. In addition to our friends at Athletic Greens. AthleticGreens.com. Use the promo code ATLAS for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. You can't go wrong. That will always help your diet. Um, Derek Chisora and Kurat, Kubrat, the kissing bandit, Pulev were in action. Great heavyweight fight. Not the highest level of tacticians per se, but they both did what they had to do on Saturday night. I thought it was super competitive. I saw all your tweets, so I'm not going to steal your thunder. Uh, talk to me. Tell tell them tell them what you saw on that in the. Well, first of all, Kulev, you have Chisora fight. No, listen. Just first of all, you got to understand Chisora is thirty eight years old, and Pulev is forty one. I mean, that's uh, uh, it's, they're not spring chicken, and Chisora, he's been in so many tough fights, so many wars, that I find him amazing. His resiliency. I really do. Is re- I like his pers- I like his personality. Too. I love He's his got a personality. Good personality for boxing. I love his class. He shows win or lose. When obviously he's had his share of tough losses, always tough fights. Where 
he shows class afterwards in the ring, uh, sportsmanship, respect uh, for his opponent. Where when he lost to Usyk, he went into his he went into his locker room, and brought him a cheeseburger, <laughs> and, and he brought him. Well, he brought two. He brought one for himself and 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 one for Usyk because obviously they were on a diet, right? And uh, they couldn't eat yeah. that kind of stuff. And he went in there and he basically he broke bread with him. He shared a meal with with the guy that. A few moments earlier, they were trying to take each other's heads off. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I think that's what makes this sport beautiful. And I think the reason why you get it more in this sport is because both fighters know the dark places they just traveled. And they have respect for each other, having traveled to those dark places. And um, those scary places. Those dangerous places. And they, they, even though they were trying to take each other's head off, they showed that respect. Um, and admiration. Uh, for each other as as men, uh, as human beings, as gladiators, as warriors, as fighters. So uh, I I see Trezora. He reminds me a little of Arturo Gatti. God bless him. The late Arturo Gatti. By the way, he brought those, I, I think he brought those five guy burgers into uh, Pulev as well after the fight. That must be his signature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, and God knows he gave Pulev enough crap before the fight started. My God, the buildup for that fight was super entertaining, which is always the case with Chisora. He was on Pulev every press conference, but it was good fun, entertaining. It wasn't like that, I'm going to murder you and crazy talk. It was just good fight hype. I liked no, it. Listen, he's got a big following over there in the UK. Uh, it was at the U2 Arena. Uh, it was full, I believe. O2. O2, O2, I'm sorry, and it was, I'm thinking of the band, U2, and it was full, I believe, to capacity, I believe it was anyway, but he, he's got an admiring fan base that admire the way he fights. Look, the reason he reminds me of Arturo Gatti is because he recuperates after being hurt so fast the way Gatti used to, which is amazing, and he yeah. also fights like Joe Frazier, just smoking Joe, always coming, moving his head, you know, coming, coming with big shots, Joe Frazier with big left hooks. Chisora is mostly big right hands, looping right hands, but, you know, both hands. But And he goes to the body hard, too. Listen, it was a tremendous fight. I I have nothing but admiration and bravo to both. I thought Pula fought a smart fight. I thought he fought the right fight. On the outside, using his height and his reach, trying to catch Pula on the way in, make him pay for real estate, you know, uh, nail him as he was coming forward. And take advantage of that that physical advantage of height and, and reach. And I thought he did. But then every time that he'd start to really get control of the rounds, which he did, all of a sudden, Trezor would land a big loop in right hand or go to the body to get in and then go land a big loop in right hand. And every time you felt that Trezor was falling behind, again, he'd land one of those big shots and even it up. And and then steal back a little the moment. There was nothing but ebbs and flows. Uh, in the eighth and ninth round, I believe, and then at, uh, I forget the other rounds. There was a couple of rounds I made notations to myself where uh, they were just spectacular rounds. But the whole fight was tremendous. I thought, again, Chisora puts himself in a disadvantaged position when he goes on the ropes every once in a while, and maybe he's resting a little bit, but when he goes on the ropes every once in a while and he's not coming forward, 
then he allows his opponent to take advantage of him being usually a shorter guy, shorter arms, you know, obviously less height, and where it's harder for him to reach the guy if he's laying on the ropes. And the guy also, being his style that he throws round punches, round punches don't reach as far as straight punches. So he has to get closer. So when he lays on the ropes, he really, he really puts himself at a disadvantage where he's a little bit of a sitting duck, where the opponent with the long arms, the height, can, can take advantage a little bit in those spots. And it happened a couple of times. But then he gets the motor running, and boy, oh boy, again, his, his resiliency. I, listen, full transparency here. I said after his last fight with Joe Parker, Joe Parker, I thought, fought a brilliant fight. That was the best Joe Parker I've seen. This is maybe the best Pulev I've seen. And meanwhile, he's 42 years old. But after the Parker fight, where he took a lot of clean punches, uh, and he's especially, Trezor's style, Ken, he's especially susceptible to uppercuts. And, and he got hit some clean ones against Parker. He got hurt. Again, he gets hurt and he recovers. It's 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 uncanny. And same thing against Pulov. He got hurt bad with an uppercut, right uppercut, and then he recovers. And I just, I thought after the Parker fight that he should retire. So again, full transparency. I said it. My mouth came out of my mouth. I'm responsible for everything I said. But then you see him in this fight and you say, <laughs> oh, why did I say that? But I know why I said it, because not only did he take a lot of punishment, he's taken it for a lot of years. And I don't know when that moment's going to come where he ain't going to take it no more. I don't know. I really don't. Um, Holyfield, I thought he was shot at a certain point. And then he goes and beats somebody like Mike Tyson. You know, sometimes these guys are just amazing with their gene pool, with their their will with their ability to be resilient again, to, to recuperate, to, to have a second life, if you will. Um, and But I do still say that I hope there's not, I wonder what the price will be for him when it finally is enough. Because these punches he absorbs, they don't go into the air. They go into the body, into the brain. So that's where, when I would say, when I said, you know, he, he should retire. That, that's where that's coming from for you great British fans out there and other ones that remember what I say. You remember everything. Um, you don't forget nothing. Uh, Ken reminds me of that. Oh, yeah, they remember everything, Teddy. I, I, I see their comments. Um, and, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. And call me on everything. Call Ken on everything. Right? But do it right. Do it where you where you're, you're using common sense, where you're really listening to us, not just knee-jerk going off because you're a fan. You know, there, there's a balance there. But we're here. We're here to tell you how we feel and to hear how you feel. But again, I for the moment, it looks like I was wrong because look at this battle that he that he puts forth. But there is, there is some things to to throw in there you know to qualify it it was against a 42 year old that makes a little difference it wasn't against a 28 year old you know so but again it's still amazing performance 
by him. Pulev doesn't have as many miles on the old dominant, as many punches taken, as many tough fights, uh, and he's 42. Uh, and But again, Pulev, tremendous performance. I thought, again, I always say what I believe, I know the British fans are a big part of our fan base, and we love them, uh, even though they drive us nuts sometimes, you know. Um, but, and we drive them nuts, but I thought that Trezora got a little home cooking in that decision. I, I felt he got a little home cooking in that decision. Now, did he, does he, do I begrudge him? No. Because he's been in that, he's been in that kitchen a long time, uh, in that oven, if you will, all the time. And you know what? He deserves a little home cooking if that's what he got. Uh, because a lot of times he doesn't get it. So I don't begrudge it because it was a close fight. But I just thought on the whole that Pulev may have landed some of the cleaner, more precise, well-placed shots with the way he was fighting on the outside, placing shots, compared to Chisora landing good right hands, no doubt about it, but a little more sporadic. Um, but again, it got heated. Uh, it, it got rumbling. It got tumbling, it got moving, it got going, and it was a terrific fight. It was drama. It was everything that you look for in a great fight, especially a heavyweight fight. Um, if he got a little home cooking, so be it. Uh, either way, he earned it. Uh, I, there were no losers. The way I looked at that kind of fight, the way it was, there, were, there was really no losers. And it was a rematch. The first fight... Uh, Pulev had won uh, the, the first time they had fought. Uh, so this was the rematch. It evens it up, uh, you know. And, and to show you what a warrior he is, and not that you need any more proof, but to show you what a warrior and his mentality of a warrior, Shizora is, um, which he shows it by his action, which is the most important way to show it. But who does he ask for? He asks for Wilder. He asked right away after the fight. He asked his promoter, <laughs> Eddie Hearn, get me, get me Wilder, you know, um, who's the hardest puncher in probably in heavyweight boxing right now. Even though, you know, he's not technically a good fighter, even though he's been knocked out two times in a row by Fury and knocked out pretty badly. Although you have to give him credit, that last fight he had Fury down too. What a war that was. But yeah. he took so much punishment. So you don't know where Wilder is physically or mentally. Who knows? But um, right away he calls out Wilder. It's, right. it's not <laughs> like he's calling out as a soft touch. <laughs> you know what I mean? After all the tough fights he's been in, Ken, you could understand if he would say to Eddie, hey, Eddie, you know, give me a little soft touch, you know, a little something, a little easier. No, no, no. Not him. I think he. I, I think Derek knows there's not a ton of fights left, and there's only a few big money fights out there. And candidly, that's probably the only realistic one. He's not getting Fury, AJ, or Usyk anytime soon, right? So it's either fight another guy like a Parker or a Pulev, that kind of like second tier of heavyweights, or a Wilder who's still maybe hovering between tier one and two. Um, the other thing that made me think during this fight, seeing how good Pulev looked, is how irresponsible it was for those bare knuckle guys to put this guy in with Frank Mir. Frank Mir, who's former UFC heavyweight champ, but he's a straight jujitsu player. To put him in with Pulev, I remember saying it when, when the fight was announced. Are they trying to get Frank Mir murdered? 
And they almost did. Got knocked out cold on his feet. I mean, was it was bad. dangerous. That, uh, irresponsible to put. That's that's a real heavyweight fighter. I mean, Pulev is not a clown. He's, no, and he's a guy. He's, he's, a, he's a guy that I think he had somewhere in the vicinity of three hundred amateur fights. Yeah, he's from Bulgaria. Uh, fought in all the European tournaments and you know everything. I don't know if he fought in the Olympics. I'm trying to remember, but whatever. I mean, this is a guy who has a pedigree of tremendous amateur background and obviously has fought top fighters, uh, you know, fought for the title uh, before this fight with Joshua, um, but he got stopped in that fight. Uh, but he's fought for the title. He fought for the title against Klitschko years ago. So, yeah, I mean, your point is well taken. I mean, see, that's the problem, Ken. That's where the danger lies. That's, that's, the, that's the beyond gray area, to be honest, where... You put these events on, you know, in the old days we called them tough man contests, but uh, now they're crossover fights, they're events, wh whatever you want to call them. And you, and you put them on for the entertainment of people because you hope it's going to make money. And you mix match, right? You grab a guy from boxing, you grab a guy from MMA, you grab a guy from football, you grab a guy from basketball, you do whatever. And it gets dicey. That's where, to your point, Ken, that's where it gets it gets a little dicey, gets a little dangerous, and you know, like you said, Mia was uh, he shouldn't have been in there in the ring and with that particular level of opponent, uh, obviously uh, qualified top heavyweight fighter, you know, um, but. Hey guys, just want to take a quick pause to give a thank you to today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. They've been with us from the beginning. It's the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. If you know anything, you know that I love Athletic Greens. It's super easy and convenient to use. I put one scoop in the special shaker bottle that comes with it. Boom. Easy peasy, fresh and breezy. These guys spent 10 years with top nutritionists and doctors to create this formula. It's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients, so it's got vitamins, minerals, all the stuff you're looking for. It's like an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity. It's all you need to stay on top of your health game, so whatever else you take, and really you only need athletic greens. Special offer to our listeners, 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas to get the 10 free travel packs. Again, it's athleticgreens.com slash atlas. Today's episode's also brought to you by one of my favorite plant-based products. It's Feel Free from, from Botanic Tonics, B-O-T-A-N-I-C, tonics.com. Use the promo code ATLAS to save a whopping 40% off your first order. This stuff is a, a natural euphoric plant-based elixir. I Honestly, it's supposed to create a calming effect. I take it before I run, and I've had some of the best runs of my life, including races. So Botanic Tonics, feel free. Give them a shot. Use the promo code ATLAS, 40% off your first order. Speaking of heavyweights, let's revisit quickly Joe Joyce, Christian Hammer. We got a lot of pushback on that. I think the fans were upset that I said that they didn't really look that good. I mean, I don't think Christian Hammer could have looked worse. He landed some big punches. He's obviously a professional fighter with some acumen, but my God, his fitness was terrible. Terrible. He basically knocked, punched himself out. Um, Joe Joyce did good work, and I'm not trying to discredit Joe Joyce, but I didn't look at that fight and go like, yeah, one of these guys is ready to step up to the next level. I looked at it as two kind of contenders, 
And one was just clearly so out of shape that you couldn't even really get a sense for if he had the skill to hang long enough with Joyce. And Joyce did what he was supposed to do, but I wasn't trying to disrespect Joe Joyce. I know you had some thoughts on that one. What do you think? This is our customer service department. We are... <laughs> and by the way, Ken is in charge of the customer service, by the way. So be nice to him, right? Be be nice to him because there, there is only... I remember my son when he started with the Raiders, the, the late, great Al Davis, and he was great. He was special. Um, he he hired my he, he hired my son uh, after he had left the Cleveland Browns. You know, when, the, when your guy gets fired, everyone gets fired. So my son started off apprenticeshipping with the Jets. Then uh, he was with Mangini. I was helping Mangini over at the Jets uh, with the psychological and the training, physical training with the players there for three years. And then uh, my Mangini, when he got fired, he went to Cleveland and he took my son with him. And then in Cleveland, when Mangini got fired, uh, my son wound up getting, everyone got fired. And my son, that's part of the NFL, not for long. And my son went down to the Pro Bowl, thanks to Mike Tannenbaum, who I always remember, and flew him down there, and he went down there to interview. He had a great resume already, and he went down there to interview for a job, to get a job down at the Pro Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And when he's down there, who hires him? Al Davis. Again, I mean, it might have been one of his last hires before the great Al Davis passed away. And and he, um, you know, he, he, he always... He he always said, Davis, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to remember what my point was. I'm sorry, I, I lost it for a second. I, about uh, cust customer service and about uh, oh, yeah, yeah. giving so, people shit. I'm starting to feel like I'm having like a Joe Biden moment or something. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm sorry. You I'm want sorry. to say customer you want customer service to get overwhelmed? <laughs> Start talking about COVID, no, no. masks, no. Biden, Anything political, no, and then no, no, the, no. the pitchforks no, come sorry. out. If you if I'm you sorry. disagree with me, no, I I'm, hate I'm, you. I'm sorry. I'm just people are so I'm just having a little, you know, a little fun. Uh, at myself, I'm having a little fun of myself. A little poking, a little fun of myself. <laughs> I had I'm, I, I'm I had one of those senior. So I had one of those senior moments, and so my son is down there. He's with. He's he's at the and look. It was. It was different without Davis. He was still doing Betamax tapes when everybody was doing digital. He was old school. Uh, some people. Yeah, but did he have a fax machine? No, I do. But he didn't. He wasn't quite <laughs> at that level of Teddy Atlas. Not quite. Not quite. But probably <laughs> did somewhere. Um, he so, you know, everybody's doing digital. He's doing Betamax. It, it was different. He was real old school dinosaur, if you will, and he didn't hire too many people, and. So everybody kind of told him. We talked to Bill Parcells, Mangini, a lot of people. And they said, listen, you go over there. It's the one thing about there. You're going to learn. You're going to get an opportunity to learn over there faster than anywhere else. Because you're gonna, it's going to be demanded of you. You're going to be put into a position where you might be doing a job of two, three people. Anyway, he's there for a couple months. And I'm talking to my son every day. And he's over there. And then one day... I don't know how many months into it was. I said, how you doing, bud? He goes, good, Dad. I said, yeah. How, how's that? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm not, what's your position, your title, you know? He goes, I'm number two 
I'm the number two in charge of uh, player personnel. Whatever it was, I can't remember exactly what the title. I'm not. I said, "Oh my, gee, that's tremendous!" You know, as a father, that's unbelievable. Already, you're number two uh, in, in in your department. That's unreal, Ted. Great. He goes. Dad, there's only three people in the department. <laughs> so, so I mean, you know, and, and, and it's great. And that's what we have with our customer service. You know, uh, you you want to talk to somebody? Okay, there's one person. It's Ken. And because of Ken, he brought this to my attention, and we decided to talk about because customer service, you know, the customers weren't happy. Uh, they were complaining. Uh, our British fans over there were complaining a little bit that we were unfair, uh, you know, to to Joyce. And here's my take on it. First of all, Ken, his assessment of Hammer, he he's not wrong. I mean, listen, Hammer, Hammer's an old war horse. He's a guy that has been in there with a lot of good fighters, and he's gotten rounds with a lot of good fighters. So to the credit of Joyce, he got rid of him where other guys went around. But he's also farther down the road of punishment, of being shot one or uh, more. And he wasn't in top shape. I mean, really, you, you, could, you could see that. But Hammer is Hammer. Hammer is a guy who will test certain level guys uh, throughout his career. He's a tough son of a gun, but he's a bit of a caveman. And come in there throwing those wide shots and a little bit like going back. I know we got some historians out there. Uh, and if they're not, they Google what I say. But you go back to two-ton Tony Galenti, uh, Galento uh, back in the 40s. He fought, Joe, he fought Joe Lewis, the great Joe Lewis. Now, he was a little bit along those lines. He was a big, heavy guy, you know, not in the greatest shape, or at least that was his shape, all right? That was his shape. Uh, he was a little round. And he'd throw hay, man. He could punch with the left hook. He actually dropped Lewis, and then Lewis got him out of there, I think, in the second round. But he, he, was, a, he was what he was. Hammers along those lines. He's not your traditional heavyweight that you look at and he look has a body of Adonis and you say, okay, there's a no, that's what he is. But you can't judge a book by his cover all the time. And he's tough. And he usually goes rounds. And at this point in his career, he couldn't go and credit to Joe Joyce placing those body shots, not just the head shots. Credit to him. But the point Ken was making is that you know, you can't go nuts over a victory over Hammer, number one. And even with Hammer's primitive ways, is that fair? And and again, I'm giving him all the credit. He's a tough guy. He goes rounds with tough fighters. He's a real fighter. But he's got a lot of losses for a reason. And he's been around a long time. And if he can touch him with some of those haymakers, that's not great for your guy that he could get touched by those punches. But Joe Choice, for me, I I see him for what he is. He's a big, ponderous, strong guy who throws ponderous, bludging punches. Not crisp, you know, uh, explosive shots like a Tyson, but they're damaging punches. They are damaging punches. He... And if you people still complain after I say this, then I can't help you. But 
Joyce reminds me, and Rob's going to put it up there for comparison because we talked about this before the show. We always try to get ready for you guys to give you the best show possible uh, from all dimensions. And he reminds me of a younger George Foreman, the first coming of George Foreman before his reincarnation when he left for 10 years, you know, after getting beat by Jimmy Young and Muhammad Ali and Zaire. Uh, and then he came back 10 years later and it was the loving hamburger, cheeseburger eating George Foreman who was, who was great, great in different ways, even greater mentally than he was the first Foreman who was more of a bully. But the first Foreman was heavyweight champ. And he was an Olympic gold medalist. And he reminds me, Joyce reminds me of similarities with his style, his ponderous punching, his power in that way. Um, he's not the fastest handed guy in the world. He's not the fastest footed guy. He's, he's plodding. But um, if I could make a comparison with the great George Foreman, who's one of the top, 10 heavyweights of all time on my list. Of all time. You know, he's he's somewhere on there. Um, in the number 10, number 9, number somewhere in there. Uh, I mean, I have guys, I mean, you got to deal with Larry Holmes. You got to, when you get to that part of the list, you got to deal with Sonny Liston. I mean, there's a lot of great, and then of course, early in the list, you got Jack Dempsey. You, I mean, you got Jack Johnson. I mean, he might be top two you got joe lewis you got muhammad ali i mean yeah yeah you got some real quality guys so for him to be on a and for me to say i'm not saying this guy's ever going to be george foreman but there are tendencies with uh, that i look at that are relatable to him so joyce is a guy i think he's going to fight for a heavyweight title they're going to keep him on track I said it in our last podcast. That's why I don't know why you guys got a little so out of sorts. But And I got to stand up for my man, Ken. Not if he's wrong, but I, I, I do have to stand up for him to maybe better interpret what he was saying from his eyes. And like I said, he wasn't really off. Um, Joyce, I give him credit. I give him maybe more credit in a way that I see him, I see the shortcomings, but I see his strengths. I see there's nobody great out there, and I see his toughness. I see his relentlessness. That's a quality. That's a quality. That's an ability, and that's going to play out. And I see him fitting in there for the world title in the next year, almost, I would say. I see him where I could have saw him fighting Fury. But I think Fury's retired, if we take him at his word, and he's going to wind up fighting Ganyu, the UFC champion, for mega money in one of those events, um, if, if they can pull that off. And, and that's what... But I made this point last week. If Dayan White can, and Fury can put almost 100,000 people into Wembley, Joe Joyce could do it. Joe, why couldn't Joe Joyce do it? So whether Joe Joyce winds up fighting the winner of Yusick and Joshua. And I'll tell you something, I think he knocks out Joshua. How's that feel for you, Brits? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's going to make you happy, huh? That ain't going to make you too happy. I know it. You're going to be hoping that I have to eat crumpets again. I get it. I, but I, I tell you, at this point, 
Yeah, I take them to knock out. Our people are going to go nuts. Now, the people that were mad at us for not giving Joyce enough credit, they're probably going to be happy. But I'm not doing it to make you happy or to make you angry. I'm doing it out of what I feel, what my experience tells me, what my judgment tells me. I can see that. I can see that. I can't see Joe Joyce beating a fury. No, I can't because of, like I said, his shortcomings. But because of his style and his strengths that he has, yeah, at this point, I could see him, you know, I mean, he might get his chin checked a little bit, and we'd have to find out if it stood up against against Joshua who can bang, obviously. But uh, yeah, I I could see I could see him taking down Joshua. But of course, Joshua might get taken down by Usyk. Before that, we don't know yet. Uh, for the second time in a row, we don't know. But. That's what I was going to ask you about. With that fight coming up on uh, August 20th, we've discussed it in the past, but anything special you're looking for there? And uh, I think I know the answer, but what, what's your expected outcome there? Well, I before I, I even I mean, say I that, I want to say one thing, and then I'll get to that, Ken. I would love to see a shootout between Joyce before he fights for the title. I don't think they're going to do it because they know what I know. It's dangerous. But I'd love to see a shootout between Joyce and Wilder. You know, we were talking about that uh, Wilder was caught out or that, that, that real tough Chisora, you got to admire him, he'll fight anyone, that he told his promoter, Eddie Hearn, get me Wilder. Well, I would love to see Joyce against Wilder. That would be an earth, earthquake fight. What about Joyce Chisora? Listen, I think Joyce might be a little too young, a little too big, a little too strong. Um, but you know what? As Chisora don't know how to do anything but make wars and make great fights. It would it would be fun. Um, I I think he might come on the short end of it, but then again, he would definitely, as the terminology I used earlier, he would definitely check the chin <laughs> of Mister Joyce before <laughs> the night. You know, check your hat, check your coat, Ken. Check he with Chisora, he checks your chin uh, at the door. Yep. But make sure he brought it with. Let him. me get to what you asked now, which is the question. One of the questions the fans want to hear out there um, about the fight with uh, the second fight with Usyk and Joshua. That's what you just asked me. Yeah, just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a quick hit on that one because we're going to do a whole fight plan on it uh, next Thursday, just, which will be available I already, in anticipation of the August 20th I talked fight. about it two weeks ago, but I, I hit on yeah. it again. I think... I think it could go a couple ways. Here's here's the thing. I, I, first of all, I think Usyk's going to win, but I, this is, I can't go against Usyk. How can I go against the guy that... Gives you no reason to go. He was undefeated. Cruiserweight champ. Unified all the titles. The best cruiserweight ever besides Holyfield. Um, he's an Olympic gold medalist. He doesn't know how to lose. Um, and and then he goes and he pulls off the upset against the bigger fighter. Just like Holyfield did when he stepped up against Buster Douglas from cruiserweight to heavyweight. He goes and does it. He, he beats Joshua. I... With this, there's an X factor, ten, uh, intangible, with this war, this terrible, terrible war that's going on in the Ukraine with Russia, where Usyk will either be fighting with more of a power, if you will, um, more incentive, more, you know, uh, motivation, not that he needs more, he's a proud guy, but than ever, 
representing the hope of the Ukrainians. Or he could be influenced the other way where after seeing what he's seen, his towns destroyed, his country being laid into rubble parts of it, people being killed, he might look at it like, you know what? In the scheme of life, boxing's not as important as this, as life. And that could change him a little. I don't know which way. I, I'm going to go with the first way, that he's he's going to fight as as the representative of hope for the Ukrainian people out there that need hope right now. I'm going to go with that. Um, I His versatility, his mind, uh, I just... I've said it before, and I know a few of the people, again, you're going to have to go to the uh, to the customer service department and talk to my man if you have some complaints about what I'm about to say. But sometimes I think, and you want to interpret it the wrong way, it's up to you guys. Sometimes I think that Joshua is too good a loser. And, and when I say that, do I mean he should curse? Oh, Teddy, you mean he should curse? He act like a fool like this guy did and that, and you start pointing all these names out and act like Brona or act like this one or act like that one? And no, 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 um, no, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. You, um, come on, don't be so, come on, be a little smarter than that. Uh, what I'm saying is, I know he's a classy guy and, he he doesn't go out there. And I'm not saying I want a sore loser that says the wrong things, but I'm just saying that sometimes it looks like Joshua accepts losing a little too freely, like he did against Ruiz the first time in the garden. Almost like a guy who's made too much money, that it's not quite... And look, do I know how he feels inside and when he's alone? No, no. I can only go by what I can go by. But sometimes I just feel that it's not important enough to him anymore. I think it was important enough to him when he fought Klitschko the first time and he got dropped. And he, he pulled himself up and he won the, he went there and he won the fight. Um, because he hadn't gotten to where he's gotten to now with the money, the prestige, the accolades, all the things that make you safe in life. Sometimes a fighter, the worst thing that can happen to a fighter in the fight business is to be safe. You know, we all want to be safe. That, that can be a danger to a fighter, to be safe. And that can be danger to uh, people in the financial business, Ken, in your business. It can be dangerous to people in a lot of different businesses to be safe, that I'm safe now. And because takes away your abilities, your most important abilities that you need to go to places, your drive, your urgency, to go to places when you aren't safe. And you need to go to those places to continue to stay on top, to continue to prosper, to continue to triumph, to continue to conquer. So I, I, I look at it, It'll be interesting. Look, there's still the right hand of Joshua, the bigger man that could land against Uzik. Uh, you know, but Uzik's pretty smart and he's he's more rounded than Joshua. You know, he makes Joshua look more one dimensional uh when he fights Uzik. Uh because Uzik shows those other dimensions. Uh and the most important dimension is the mental dimension. So anyway, that's that's a nice clip for Rob to put up there too, and that's that's nice for people to hear. I hope I hope 
and I hope, listen, I hope you guys, again, customer service is here for you, baby. You know, you're looking at them. You're looking at my man right, <laughs> right there, like the great, you know, like my, my son told me when he was with the great Al Davis, Dad, I'm number three. I'm number three, uh, number two in charge of my department. I said, wow, buddy, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, but Dad, but there's, there's, there's only three guys. <laughs> but, but my son got to the top of where he got. He got to, the, he got to uh, you know, head of scouting, uh, you know, uh, the head of scouting department, which, uh, you know, director of scouting, which is pretty damn good. Yep. Well, two weeks after that, we've got uh, Andrew Ruiz finally back in action, and he's in tough against Luis Ortiz, who's probably 65 at this point, but can still crack, and that's going to be a tough challenge. That's going to be a How is Ortiz, Ken, since we're, making, we're choking around? But what is he, 42, 43? He, he, I mean, yeah, let me let me check his official age, but he's definitely up there. And he's a southpaw. Yeah, old school Cuban fighter. You know he's going to be fundamentally sound. What are you looking for in that one? Yeah, listen, Ruiz is supposed to win that one. I mean, he's old, like you said, Ortiz is old. He loses to the top. I mean, not all, but I mean, the top fights for when he fought for the title against Wada, right? He lost both those fights. Uh, he represented himself, you know, pretty damn good. And he heard Wilder uh, in one, at least one of those fights. Uh, oh yeah, he had he had Wilder in yeah. big trouble. He's forty. He's forty three right, years 40. old. He's thirty three and two. He's been knocked out twice by Wilder, and he's knocked out twenty eight of his thirty three. Well, opponents. he's a good puncher. He's a very real solid. Fighter. Well, he's a, he's a solid technical fighter. Good puncher. Forty three years old. Had a lot of amateur fights uh, with the great, you know, amateur program that the Cubans have. Um, he's got all that pedigree going for him. Uh, he's, uh, listen, Ruiz is supposed to win it, but he didn't look good. He did not look good. Maybe he took off too much weight too soon. I don't know. But he didn't look good against Chris Ariola, and he got hurt badly against Ariola. And I think for that Ortiz punches at least as good as Ariola. Uh, and Ariola was older too. Um, and Ariola had been on a losing streak and obviously not near his prime, not even near his prime. And nobody thought, including myself, thought he was going to give Ortiz any kind of run for his money. And he sure as hell gave him a run for his money. Boy, oh boy, did he give him a run for his money. And he's another guy. I love, I, I, I love Ariola. And... He's another guy who said after one of his fights he should retire. Uh, I think it was after the fight with the undefeated at the time. He's been knocked out since. Polish fighter when he fought him in the garden, remember? And um, Barclay, Barclay Center. Barclay at the Barclay Center. Barclay Center. I was Center. At that exactly. Fight. Uh, what was the name of the Polish fighter? He was undefeated. Now he's been knocked out. Yeah, uh, yeah. And And look, he got stopped by Kornacki, and I thought he should retire. He gets hit too much. He's been around a long time. Ariola, he's taken a lot of punishment. He's got a great heart, great heart, great heart. Uh, but I thought it was time. And then he comes back and. What's he do? He almost knocks out. Uh, he almost knocks out Ruiz. So, uh, again, uh, I think that Ruiz. That was Ruiz's first fight with his new trainers. You know, with uh, Canelo's, you know, with Canelo's people. And again, he didn't look good. He didn't look that great. But as always, he shows heart. Um, 
it was a life and death in some spots with Ariola. Uh, <laughs> I I think again Ortiz. If Ariola could hurt him, uh, Ortiz could hurt him. Uh, you know, and uh, it should be it should be interesting uh, for a minute, uh, more than a minute maybe. It should be interesting. I think it's more interesting on the side. I don't know. You never know when suddenly Ortiz really gets old. That's that's kind of what we're talking about. But uh, it's more interesting from the Ruiz side because I think a lot of people just kind of dismissed him after that bad performance. You know, uh, obviously he lost the rematch when we got way too heavy against Joshua. And then he goes... And he has this fight with Ariola with his new trainers. People expected a lot, uh, and and they were disappointed. So a lot of people wrote him off. So this is an important fight for Ruiz to see if they write him back on, to see if he's back in the mix again, because it looked like he might have removed himself from the mix a little bit, um, you know. So this is more interesting to see what Ruiz does. And, and I think there's interest for that reason. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's get into some of the quick hits. And the first one that I want to touch on is uh, you were mentioning customer service last week after we, um, after we did the show. We missed one of the fights down in Australia, the cruiserweight title, the cruiserweight title fight. And um, one of the Aussie fans, Scott Allen, hit me on Instagram, was like, hey, mate, where are you on this fight? And I was like, oh, damn, we missed one. And it was Jay Apatea versus Maris Bredis. The Latvian, the Aussie versus the Latvian cruiserweight champ. I think it was the IBF title. And um, wow, what a rumble. Uh, Apatea gets the uh, unanimous decision, suffers a broken jaw in the third round and just keeps fighting. His jaw so busted he couldn't even do the post-fight interview. All credit to him. I'm sorry we missed this one. Sometimes when these fights are in Oz at odd, at odd hours, like when – in a way fights, for instance, they're at such crazy hours and they're not really advertised over here, but nevertheless, we should have our finger on the pulse. I missed that one. It's on me. Um, so for Scott Allen, Teddy, how'd you like that? Jay Apatea versus Myris Bredis upset. By the way, Apatea was a two, two and a half to one underdog going into that fight. He certainly didn't fight like an underdog winning the unanimous decision, man, all action fight. Those guys are big too. They were cracking. Yeah. First of all, cruiserweights, first of all, it's not on you. Uh, we're, we're together on this. So I take as much responsibility for not touching on it as you. But that that's not get carried away either because, um, you know, I, uh, we love all our fans. But um, <laughs> how do I say this without getting in trouble? But, you know, just because a few Aussies down under uh, get a little ruffled uh, does, doesn't mean that, you know, that... That was really, uh, you know, Ward or Trogatti too that people were looking forward to. I don't think that was necessarily marked on anyone's calendar over here where I where I look to say, oh, this is one we can't miss. This one, and I always say it, Ken. They don't. They don't. They don't publicize. Uh, they don't let you know these damn fights are even on. Again, we're not looking for an excuse. But again, uh, we love you, Aussies. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. We, we love you. But uh, come on. A few guys, you know, they get a, a little upset uh, and because, of course, to them, it's the biggest fight in the world. But it wasn't quite, uh, again, on a, on a universal uh, billboard 
uh, and and calendar of everybody, every boxing fan in the, you know, uh, in the civilized world. So, um, I I disagree with you one thing. First of all, again, thank uh, uh, guy in charge of customer service that we are revisiting this. First of all, okay, so that's number one. Number two, I disagree with Ken that it was a great fight. I think it was great heart. I think it was a one-sided fight into around the 10th round, 9th round, uh, whatever. Three quarters of the fight, I thought that Obataya, the, the, the Aussie, the challenger, undefeated challenger, now he's the undefeated champion, was, was way ahead. I, I thought he was two-dimensional for Bredis, who was one-dimensional. Bredis, basically, Bredis was just a strong, tough, and, and as Ken said, you know, he fought with a broken jaw for, from what round, can they say? They don't know for sure, but from early in the fight, right? He, he, he broke his jaw in the third round. They said he fought for, uh, nine rounds. First of with, all, has uh, it been confirmed? Jaw. With X-rays and doctor reports, I don't know. I always like to. Someone, so, someone sent me an X-ray, and I know he couldn't do the interview after right. the fight because he couldn't yeah, talk. All right, but but I'm not saying he didn't have a broken jaw. I just like to know it was confirmed. But here's the thing. Uh, that's why, as a commentator, I learned. I, I used to love what these commentators used to say. Oh, his hand is broken. Oh, his jaw is broken. Oh, his nose. Is broken. Do you? Are you a doctor? I know you're a commentator. Are you also a doctor? Did you or did you just stay at a Motel Eight last night, and or whatever that commercial was, where you know you stay at a Motel Eight, whatever that was, round robin, one of those things. Holiday, holiday oh yeah. Holiday. Are, are you a surgeon? <laughs> no, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. Oh, <laughs> I get it. So you know you got to be careful when you say, oh, he's got a broken jaw, a broken hand, a, a broken this, uh, until you know for a fact. Until there's an x-ray. Until a doctor verifies it. But anyway, he was definitely in distress. He may have had a broken jaw. There's no disputing Bredis how strong physically and how tough he is. And he's a good right-hand puncher. But there's no disputing from Teddy Atlas's eyes that he's a one-dimensional guy that comes in the front door all night and he was getting outboxed by Opataya, the challenger, who was much more dimensional. He was countering, he was using the ring, he was pot shotting him with, with, with straight left hands. Um, he was, you know, he was using the jab, he was putting combinations together. He, he, was, he was doing so much more than Bredis was doing. Bredis was pursuing, looking for a home with the right hand. He never landed really clean early. And then finally he did get his moments. And that's when the fight became interesting. In the ninth, 10th round, whatever round it was, he just kept coming, kept coming, and finally landed the right hand. He landed a straight right hand, which he was looking to land, and he landed the right uppercut. And he hurt. He got the attention of Obataya, and he slowed him down. And it became interesting. And he was coming on like gangbusters or trying to come on. And he was trying to, he knew he was behind and he was trying to keep the title. You know, he was trying to make the comeback and he ran out of time. And to the credit of Obataya, Obataya was part of why he ran out of time. Obataya got himself together and he finished up the way that a champion needs to finish up to be a champion. Um, so, 
I saw it one-sided for the first three. I didn't see it scintillating. I didn't see a bond burner. I didn't see, you know, Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti won, you know, or Corrales and Castillo won. I, I, I didn't see that. I didn't. I, I'm sure the Aussies did. If I could look through the glasses you guys were looking through, I'm sure. And I get it. I understand. That's why you're a fan. You're, you're fanatical. And you're proud of your guy, and it's great. And, he, and he, he won in front of his home crowd in Australia, down under, and now he's going to get a chance being an undefeated champion to make a lot of money because obviously he draws, and um, the Aussie fans obviously are committed, and, and he'll do, you know, he'll be able to do great over there. But, uh, and, and being that Obataya's a southpaw, uh, that's one of the reasons why Bradis was looking for the right hand all night because right hands could be southpaw kills. And he was looking for it, looking for it, looking for it, but he was getting outboxed. He was getting outspeeded, uh, you know, outjabbed, out combination, out everything. And then he finally landed the right hand against the southpaw and it got, it got interesting at the end. He made, put it this way, he made Obataya... Uh, earn the rest of the fight, you know, where he was getting it fairly easy, I would say, the early part of the fight. Yeah, uh, Rob posted some stories while you were talking there that say uh, confirmed he had a broken jaw in both places for at least six, probably nine rounds. So there's And there's x-rays floating around out there. So Hey, give him credit. credit he to, behaved, uh, look, he behaved like a champion. Uh, he did. A warrior, gladiator, whatever you want to say. He behaved like a champion. Don't forget... Uh, Muhammad Ali fought with a broken jaw probably 10 rounds. We don't know for sure, but probably about 10 rounds with uh, the late, great Ken Norton. Um, you know, so it's there's a precedent for that stuff, um, and it's done by champions. That's part of being a champion. That's part of earning the right to be called a champion in anything. It doesn't have to be in boxing. In anything, you earn the right to be called a champion by the way you behave when things are most difficult. When other people find a way out, you find a way in when things are at their darkest. All right, next up, I wanted to talk about just quickly, quick hitter. Ray Vargas dethrones Mark Magasai over your split decision for the WBC featherweight title on Showtime Saturday night. Good scrap between two uh, featherweights. Usually these young, the lower weights don't get me that excited, maybe with the exception of Inouye, maybe this Bam Rodriguez coming up. Those, you know, a few exceptions. But this, I thought this was a really good action-packed fight back and forth for a little while, and uh, Ray Vargas gets the split decision, both undefeated coming into the fight. How'd you like Disagree that Disagree with you completely. Again, it's okay, though. It's part of the show. Um, I agree with you at the end, though, so I'm with you. But I thought very close to what I described with Bradis and Opataya in the cruiserweight fight. I thought the first three quarters of the fight was one-sided. I thought it was all Vargas. Um, Vargas, who's trained by the legendary, and they made a big deal. The only reason I'm bringing it up is that the commentators made a huge deal about it. Um, the legendary Nacho Beristein, the great Mexican fighter who's had fighters like Juan Marquez, great fighters, and... and um, McSayo was trained by Freddie Roach. And let me tell you, um, for what it's worth, again, only because they brought it up, 
Um, if they were trying to make it a contest between the trainers, well, then Ber- Berestein, uh won it pretty much hands down. Because only because if again, if they're going to make it that way, then you look at Vargas. Vargas was just much more of a complete fighter. Uh, again, along the lines of Bradis and and um, Obataya, where Obataya was more complete than Bradis was. Uh, Vargas was using his jab. He was boxing, using a ring. He was picking spots. He was throwing combination. And Freddie Roach's fighter was really relegated to one dimension, looking to land a big right hand or a big left hook. But he was pursuing. He had a dangerous right hand. He was pursuing. He was he was looking to time Vargas with the right hand, but he was coming up short all night until he finally landed. That's when it became interesting, Ken. But for the first three quarters of the fight, whatever it was, I can't remember exactly when he got dropped, but it was... It was one-sided for me. It was Vargas putting on a clinic of boxing against the guy in Maxayo who was just coming forward looking to land one punch, and, and he was coming up short. But then I tweeted, I tweeted to Rob, uh, the round before Maxayo finally scores with the right hand, I said, Vargas is the more complete fighter. He's got more of an arsenal. He's using it. He's putting punches together. He's doing this. He's doing that. But there's still danger because Maxayo's a good right hand puncher and Maxayo's looking to time him with the right hand. The next round, what happens? He times him with the right hand. He drops him. He hurts him. Matter of fact, my son was in from Vegas. We, we were so happy we had him and his grandson and his wife here for the week. And they went back yesterday. And he was watching a fight with me, and he says, Dad, that's why I wish you were still calling fights. <laughs> you know, it's my son, of course, he's going to take my side. But he said, that's why I wish you were still calling him, because you just told us what was going to happen, and it happens a few minutes later. So, but for me, it was obvious. And he finally caught him, and this is where it became extraordinary, Ken. Um, where, for me, for my view, my advantage, my vantage point as a trainer, Vargas was out on his feet. He was concussed. He never saw the punch. His legs were gone. He looked like one of those guys in the circus walking on those stilts where they're 20 feet tall and they're walking on stilts. He looked like that. He couldn't get his legs back for a couple rounds. And he was, he was basically fighting on heart and instincts. Instincts, pure, unadulterated instincts. He was, he was gone. And he, f- wow, 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 wow. Nature is great. Instincts can be so powerful. And um, we can find a source inside ourselves. If we go there, if we train ourselves to do it, that really is magnificent. What Vargas did, and I'm pointing it out where I don't think he got near enough attention. I don't think he got any attention for this. But what he did was magnificent. And I'm pointing it out. He, again, he found a way while he was out on his feet to survive, to stay in there. And then finally towards the end, he got himself together a little bit where he was able to do more. And he got to the finish line. And he behaved like a freaking champion. 
He was fighting Maxayo, who was the champion. But Vargas had been a champion at 122, uh, a division lower, and he had stepped up to this division. Now he's a two-division champion. But he won the title by outboxing Maxayo, outboxing, you know, as I said, uh, Burstein's guy, outbox Roach's guy, if you want to go down a path that the commentators were trying to take you to make a little more graphics to it, a little more sizzle to it, a little more bells and whistles, whatever. I don't think he even needed that. At the end of the day, he was outboxing him, but he wasn't going to get home without being tested, and he got tested. He got tested, are you ready to behave like a champion? Again. And he did. And I just thought it was spectacular to see that man, what he did, and how he was able to maintain himself after being hurt as badly as he was hurt. Um, so all kudos to Vargas uh, and to Nacho Berestein, who's 82 years old. Wow, 82 years old he was working that corner, still training fighters. That's how you stay young. You do something you love, and you keep doing it. And um, that's that's what I saw there. Yep. All right. Last one here. UFC main event fight night from the Apex Center. The Battle of the Rafas. Rafael Dos Anjos, the old warhorse versus the hot streaking Rafael Fazeev. Going into the fifth round uh, the, on the official scorecards, we have Fazeev up by two rounds going into the third uh, and tied on one scorecard. So all he had to do was stay on his feet and he would have won the fight. But, uh, man, he clipped Dos Anjos with a left hook and jumped on him and finished him. Uh, sneaky left hook. It was really good. I mean, I thought Dos Anjos really looked good in spots. You know, I, I would have expected Dos Anjos to try and do a little more jujitsu, give him Fazeev's kickboxing background. He trains in Muay Thai heavily, lives in Thailand. And obviously, Dos Anjos, a decorated black belt. I was expecting more of a ground game. I think Fazeev might have been surprised too, but Dos Anjos stood on his feet. They cracked all night long, and uh, in the end, Fazeev knocks him out, gets the win. How'd so you like about that geography, Anjos didn't get the geography enough, to your point, quite enough to really put forward his skills to the utmost. But um, first of all, Needs to be pointed out. Dos Anjos, former champion, UFC lightweight champion, 37 years old. So he's in the twilight. He might be past the twilight. But he's a guy who's a little used up. I think that's fair. A little shop one. I think that's fair. But still, still, you know, got the pedigree of a great champion. Um, great former champion. And uh, he's, you know, tough as nails as they all are. And he... He lost the first two rounds. He was in the wrong geography. Uh, Fazeev, the first two rounds was striking. He had the edge. Uh, it was 2 nothing. Then the third round, uh, to your point, I thought those anchos, at the very least, I thought it was an even round. It was really a close round. Um one of the three judges had the third for um, Dos Anjos, and they all had the fourth for Dos Anjos. Yeah, he was coming, he was on. coming on. I, I thought the third, I thought he he started turning the, the fight around a little bit towards where he needed it, trying to get closer to his geography where he could get his hands on on a better striker. And, and I thought that it was a real close round, even round, whatever. You want to give it to him, fine. Then the fourth round, he won. 
those Andros won that for me, and obviously, as you said, for the for the judges, uh, he won that round. Why? Because he got to take down again. He got the geography he needed to be in the territory, the environment that was best suited for him on the floor, on the mat, um, and then it started getting interesting. And then what happens? Seconds into the fifth round, bang, boom, boom, ba, bing, boom, you know. Uh, as the late, great Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners used to say, to the moon, Alice, you know, I mean, uh, or, or if you watched those Batman shows years ago and you saw the graphics they would put up, zang, bang, boom, uh, this was bang, uh, sensational knockout. But as I always say, Ken, it ain't just about the punch that lands, it's about the setup, the delivery system. It's always there, and sometimes it gets missed, but it's always there. And the delivery system was spectacular. Different, unique, but spectacular. He closed that gap, he being Fazeev, Fazeev, he closed that gap with those anchos the way a traditional fighter, boxer would close it would be behind the jab. He did it the way sometimes UFC fighters do it. And it was ingenious. He did it with a flying knee. He used the knee to do two, two things. To close the gap and to distract those angels. So that he could land the left hook while he was distracted. While he was close enough, the flying knee got him close enough in position, delivered him. FedEx, baby. Delivered him. And then when he got there, it also had distracted the eye level of those Andros where he never saw the left hook. He was worried about something coming from beneath and the danger came from above. Beautiful setup. The left hook lands. He never saw it. He's out. Bang. Lights out. Again, I appreciate, yeah, I, I see the punch and the sensationalism of it, but I appreciate the delivery system. The science. And as tough as these guys are, it's always the guys with more science that are going to be the top, top guys. Um, at the end of the day, Fazeev showed me a physically strong, obviously tough, proud, confident, but very physically strong, good, solid striker who can handle himself in all realms of the octagon. You know, uh, wherever he has to handle himself in whatever areas, he's equipped to handle himself. But he, he looks like a good, strong, technically solid, not not great in one area or spectacular, except his power. He's got good power in one area, but good and solid, nice striker. Um, again, who can who can handle himself in that octagon and in in any place that he has to. Uh, I was, you know, again, you got, the fans got what they wanted. At the end of the day, they got a spectacular uh, knock. Yep, great show from the UFC. Well, Teddy, that's a pretty full week. We covered a lot there. I hope the fans are happy. I'm sure if they're not, they'll let me know if we missed anything else. But I think we're up to speed on everything going on. We got a UFC fight night coming up. Like we said, there's some big fights coming up, and we're going to film some uh, fight plans next week in New York City. So be on the lookout for that stuff. And um, 
Yeah. You got anything else before we say goodbye? No, just look out for the sharks in the water there, you know? Um, and uh, not all the sharks are in the water, too. Look out for the ones that are on the land, <laughs> too. Have, land yeah, sharks. Have a great time there with your family. Enjoy it. Uh, and uh, I'll see you. I see you in about two weeks, a little less actually. Um, yep. In New York, uh, down at the Trinity Gym with Martin Snow, and we'll be doing fight plans. That's it. All right, guys, thanks for being with us. Appreciate the support. Please like and subscribe to the YouTube video. It helps us a lot. We really appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll be back next week per usual. Have a great week. <laughs>